Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today in this podcast. Uh, we'll talk about issues that matter in Greece and Turkey. Uh, we will be talking about climate change today, and we have two distinguished guests. Uh, I'll start with introducing uh, Ms. Evil Turan. Uh, she has been engaged in grassroots activities and campaigns regarding the anti-nuclear movement, energy cooperatives, climate change, natural rights and field studies, and green policies for the last decade in Turkey. Uh, she has been working on climate resilient city policies, energy democracy, and citizen participation issues actively for the last four years with a focus on renewable energy cooperatives and citizen initiatives. She worked at Greenpeace Mediterranean as the program director for the last year. Uh, welcome, uh, Sevil. And uh, also our uh, second distinguished guest is uh, Georgios Kostakos. Uh, he's the co-founder and executive director of the Brussels-based Foundation for Global Governance and Sustainability. He has almost 30 years of work experience in international affairs, both as practitioner and as researcher. This includes 14 years with the United Nations, with assignments such as observing the elections that ended apartheid in South Africa, promoting human rights in Haiti, reporting from post-Dayton Bosnia, and serving as Assistant Secretary of the UN General Assembly's Committee on the Exercise of the Inalienable Rights of the Palestinian People, promoting UN Strategic Planning and Reform as First Officer in the UN Secretary General Strategic Planning Unit, organizing the first ever high-level event on climate change in New York, advancing the UN system, delivering as one on the climate change from the Secretary of the UN System, Chief Executive's Board for Coordination. And he laid the ground for the Sustainable Development Goals as Senior Advisor and Acting Deputy Executive Secretary of the UN Global Sustainability Panel. He was, until recently, Climate Action Thematic Coordinator at NEEMOEEIG, where he coordinated the monitoring of climate change adaptation and mitigation projects co-financed by the European Union's LIFE program. In the 90s, also, he had numerous senior posts at the Hellenic Foundation for European and Foreign Policy, ELIAMEP, and organized postgraduate courses in international affairs at the University of Athens. So uh, welcome, both of you. And um, I want to start with um, asking you some questions about the most recent climate change conference in Egypt. So I wanted to ask your uh, comments on the important topics that have been discussed there. Uh, what do you think the results were? Do you think uh, this uh, climate change conference will have an impact on uh, different countries' policies towards uh, taking extra measures uh, to prevent uh, what is about to come? So we can start with Seville and then um, um, I will also come to you, Georges. Thank you. Um, thank you, Bahar. Uh, this COP meeting uh, was important, and the, the most important part, actually, the agreement for a loss and damage finance fund uh, has established. That's a kind of marks a new down for a climate justice. Uh, and the governments also have laid the cornerstone of a long overdue new fund to deliver vital support to vulnerable countries and the communities who are already being devastated by the accelerating climate crisis. And also, uh, moving forward into discussion of the details of the fund, we need to ensure that the countries and the cooperation most responsible for the climate crisis make the biggest contribution. That means the new and the additional finance for developing countries and the climate vulnerable communities, not just for a loss and damage, but for adaptation and mitigation too. Developing countries just make a good on existing uh, 100 million 
uh, US dollar per year to pledge to support low-income countries to deliver carbon cutting policies and to increase the resilience to climate impacts. They must also implement the their commitments to at least the double funding for adoption. Encouragingly, a large number of the countries from North and the South voiced their strong support of phasing out all fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas, which is that implanting in the Paris Agreement will take. But uh, during this COP27, they were ignored by the Egyptian COP presidents. Petro states and the smaller fossil fuels lobbyists were out in the force in the Sharm el-Sheikh to make sure that it did not, it did not happen. In the end, if all fossil fuels are not rapidly phased out, no amount of money will be able to, to cover the cost of the resulting loss and damage. Is that that was simple? Uh, when you're, uh, like we can see that, that when your bathtub is overflowing, you turn off the tops, you don't wait a while, then go out and uh, buy a bigger mop. Also, this tackling the climate change and the promoting climate justice uh, is not a just a zero-sum game. It's not about the winners and the losers. Either we make a progress on all fronts, all the loss. After the discope, we can say the victory for the people's power on loss and the damage must be translated into renewed action to expose the climate action blockers, push for bolder policies, and to end our dependence on the fossil fuels, both renewable and the support a just transition mechanism. Only then can greater the strides towards the climate justice be taking after the discope. Thank you, thank you, Bahar. And uh, many thanks to Seville, because I think she said it all in a way. I'll just um, agree with her that uh, it is a, an important, at least a symbolic importance for now, of symbolic importance for now, the creation of this uh, loss and damage fund. But the details are going to be determined uh, at the next COP, by the next COP. And I think often, as we say, the devil is in the details. So it's important to Uh, remain um, alert, uh, especially civil society and others and uh, developing states, states that have suffered from the effects of climate change without having contributed so much or at all to it, uh, to make sure that uh, there is justice in the structure and in the funding of this fund, meaning where will the money come from? Will it be enough? But uh, and, And how it will be disbursed to who will be getting the money and how. The idea for this loss and damage is that these developing countries and especially the small island developing states that suffer from hurricanes or typhoons and other extreme weather events without having contributed to climate change, they need to be compensated for the damage that they are suffering now And that is because they cannot even um, insure themselves. So there is a parallel scheme for small insurance like a global shield or something like that, where countries like Germany have offered some money, but it is really uh, like 167 million, perhaps in the case of Germany or something like that. So it's in the tens or hundreds of millions, which is really nothing compared to what is needed. Uh, billions and trillions to to have a just transition and to secure people from climate change. But anyway, that is a small thing on the side. And this bigger, hopefully, fund loss and damage will take shape more at the next COP 
but it has been established in principle, and that shows it, uh, that there is at least some acknowledgement of um, wrongdoing, in a way, some acknowledgement of uh, justice that uh, uh, has to be granted through support to those countries that suffer loss and damage. That is very important. But as also um, Seville said, the additional amounts that have been promised in the past, that $100 billion per year for mitigation adaptation has not been delivered any year up to now in its totality. So it was supposed to be $100 billion every year, at least. And it is always much less than that. Uh, We'll see if it is achieved by next year, but also that remains an open source of friction among the countries that uh, are part of the UNFCCC process, and it's all the countries of the world, and that has to be solved also. The developed countries insist a lot on principle and on keeping the 1.5 degrees Celsius as the maximum for the increase of the average temperature of the Earth. And that is, of course, important to keep because that will keep us safe and biodiversity in the planet as safe as possible. But again, they cannot insist on that and not deliver on the resources that need to be given to developing countries and emerging economies to convert to renewable energies, etc. We'll see this tension, of course, continuing. um, And uh, it has been aggravated a bit with the war in Ukraine, where uh, even uh, developed countries that have the technology and the funds to go ahead towards renewable energies, they are going backwards to secure their people during winter by using, again, uh, fossil fuel more than they planned and uh, others such uh, polluting sources. We could say more about uh, the the COP. Uh, There were things about forests and other things, but a lot of that is often declaratory and it's not tangible and monitored and that we have to insist more. This was supposed to be an implementation COP and an African COP, according to the Egyptian Egyptian, organizers, the presidency, Uh, But I don't know if it was enough of either of those, implementation and Africa-focused. It is a pity, but okay, it's always a compromise. And finally, finally, yes, uh, the lobbying of the fossil fuel industry and the fossil fuel producing countries was really very present, it seems, in Sharm el-Sheikh and probably will be present also at the next COP, which is uh, at the United Arab Emirates in the same region. But uh, in this case, it was for Africa, and that one will be for Asia, the COP, because they are supposed to uh, go to a different continent each year. So we have to be very careful and to push back uh, the, the fossil fuel lobby that is really very strong, even at the COPs. Thanks. Thank you so much, uh, Georgius. I have a follow-up question for both of you. So, uh, in this uh, summit, we have uh, we have seen that political leaders were paying uh, significant attention to this uh, topic. Uh, although there have been other conferences in the past, um, we we see now that you know they really talked about it, and especially uh, there were comments made about uh, collaboration or uh, um, mass suicide. Uh, so, um, how can we make sure that these bolder policies, as I mentioned? by civil are implemented? Who is going to follow up? Who is implementing what? Uh, So what's the next stage until the next summit? Thank you. If I can speak from my experience, because as you read in my CV, I was a co-organizer of the first uh, ever, I think, high-level event or summit in New York under Secretary General Ban Ki-moon in 2007. 
on climate change. So we thought at that time, um, I was in his office, that we should bring it to the level of heads of state or government so that there is broader awareness and a mobilization of the whole of government and the whole of multilateralism, not just the negotiators for climate at UNFCC who are often coming from environment ministries or climate ministries. So we thought you have to mobilize all sectors of the economy and the society to really address climate change. It's, just, it's not just an environmental issue. And um, uh, the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon at the time wanted to make it clear, and we had an organizing team with UNFCC and ourselves from his office, and what we saw is what leaders came and really the awareness was increased since 2007. It was the year also that the IPCC and Al Gore got the Nobel uh, Peace Prize. There was a lot of mobilization about climate and it has not ended since. I mean, it has always been kept up the political agenda, climate. It's not only an environmental issue, but it has become also a bit of a show. We talk big. And we act uh, small because there are considerations of the economy, uh, the lobbies, etc. So sometimes the leader show is a parallel show to the actual negotiations and their outcomes. And we have to see the money and we have to see the actual outcomes. The mobilization in terms of politics is quite high, can be kept high. There'll be also next year another climate summit in New York. The Secretary General of the UN now... Um, Antonio Guterres is on top of it also. He knows the subject. He's passionate about it. But we have to connect political words and action on the ground and, and money, a lot of money that's needed. Thank you. Thank you so um, much, Sevil. I just uh, add something very short that uh, the next the COP meeting will be so important to follow this process, of course. But before that, this COP uh, uh, 27, uh, is expected, but expected to be important for the uh, updated NDC uh, program plans of the countries. That was important too. This it was important to uh, the stay there, the within the 1.5 degree limit. Uh, but uh, a lot of we saw that, that a lot of countries who um, um, who announced their NDC targets is not realistic to stay in the within the this degree limit. Uh, that's the important that uh, to uh, mobilize all sectors is important, but also it's very important that to push the governments to update their NDCs uh, with the reality, realistic targets and focusing on the mitigation and the adaptation policies and the, of course also. Uh, the cutting the uh, the subventions to the fossil fuels that will be also the important part to uh, the follow the this process for the next uh, NDC. Also, Turkey is the the one of the country who announced their NDC targets to, uh, during this COP meeting, uh, and also uh, in Turkey we are in a similar situation as a, as the the NGOs the, who are working on climate issues also uh, try to push the governments to update at NDC again because it's not realistic and uh, it's uh, not a real uh, target to tackling the climate, combating the climate uh, crisis. Thank you so much, Sevil. Uh, so while these discussions are taking place at the supranational level, 
the, these podcasts are about uh, mostly about Greece and Turkey. So I want to ask you some specific questions about uh, uh, our countries and what they are doing to tackle uh, the threats that uh, that are associated to the climate change. Um, so I want to start with Seville then. Um, Seville, can you tell us a little bit about the immediate climate change related threats that Turkey is facing at the moment? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Turkey is located in the Mediterranean region, and which is considered the area most affected by the climate change. The latest uh, scientific research show that. And every year, the country faces climate disaster and the periodic events uh, to increase the scope and the magnitude. Uh, and every year, there are the huge forest fires, deterioration of the agricultural production, cultivated land, premature deaths to, due to the air pollution, loss of the water resources, and a dramatic decrease in the water levels in dams, and the deaths of the people and animals, and enormous economic losses. Uh, it's so clear okay, that the action to address all these problems is a sensible climate action plan that includes a comprehensive roadmap for a lifestyle that can withstand with the impacts of the climate change. Uh, this must also include a projection for phasing out coal, permanent transitions, electricity generation to 100% renewables, uh, adaptation and mitigation measures, and the just transition strategies to prepare original communities for the, this transition, also to the combat the climate crisis. The lack of the defense mechanism is an immediate uh, trait, as a physical and economical, economical traits uh, themselves. Uh, therefore, uh, just in the, this kind of the old crisis, the uh, Turkey, uh, we call the Turkey government, Turkish government uh, to take the serious steps to, to realize the adaptation and the mitigation problems for that. Uh, thank you so much. How about Greece? How about our neighbor? Uh, we we are facing similar problems, I guess, Georges. Absolutely. We are in the same uh, part of the world. And of course, the Mediterranean, according to the IPCC also, is uh, ground zero for, for climate uh, impacts. And we are experiencing it, of course, uh, all these years, especially in the summer. As Seville said, with uh, the forest fires, we have these... Um, High, level, high temperatures, I mean, um, uh, heat waves and these events, the heat wave events are more frequent and more in numbers every year. So it is, it is really getting difficult to uh, keep our agriculture and our tourism even if uh, the heat waves um, are there in July and August, which are the peak seasons for tourism in our region, then the tourists may not be coming. Of course, then the tourist season may be um, expanded and we can have tourists in September, October, and November when the climate is again more temperate. But uh, there needs to be a lot of adjustment to the economy and the society to absorb all these uh, shocks. The extreme weather events is... Also, um, civil said the fires destroy a lot of um, forests, uh, which also absorb CO2. And instead of absorbing, they emit uh, greenhouse gases while they're burning. Uh, we have also uh, lose our forest coverage and also productive land when there is fire, also in areas like olive trees, etc. We have um, other uh, problems 
then what we do with the land that has been destroyed like this, whether we use it for to reforest or we do construction and that can worsen things. Of course, we have also too much water sometimes, overall less water, and there is a problem of gradual desertification in some areas, but in cases when the water falls, falls too much and we have floods that also destroy instead of being useful the water that we need so much. So the, there is need, and there are projects for adaptation to collect that water when it falls, not allow it to destroy even cities, etc., by cleaning up the sewer systems and everything, by um, also having, again, the forests healthily absorbing the water. Because if you don't have um, uh, coverage with trees, then the floods are worse. And all this is um, is the vicious circle of climate impacts. So in Greece, we now have a new ministry for the climate crisis and civil protection, and it is dealing with that part of the impacts. It's not responsible for the mitigation targets that Seville also talked about before, which is for Greece a big part of its cooperation with the European Union, because the European Union gives a collective NDC, nationally determined contribution, with its targets for 2013, 2014, 50. Uh, Greece is obliged to comply with that and do its part. There is a burden-sharing decision within the European Union, what each one does. And there is also the overall uh, ETS system, the European Emission Trading System, uh, that covers some of the uh, emissions, about half of the emissions. So the, the, there is uh, there are a lot of constraints within which uh, Greece has to, op- the Greek government has to operate, but I can tell you it's not doing fully what it should be doing uh, for economic and other reasons, and we can talk in more detail about that. But we have to prepare our farmers, our tourism sector, and of course change the energy uh, supply and uh, mix to be able to uh, reduce the, the impacts and also reduce our contribution to making climate worse. So this is the adaptation and the mitigation part that we have been talking about. Another secondary uh, impacts uh, are the acidification of the sea, invasive species. When you swim in the summer in the Mediterranean, now you encounter some fish that was not there before. And that's also having an impact even on the fish that we fish for food, on the tourism, on, on the people who, who bathe, etc. as well as we have gradual sea level rise and coastal erosion that can also create problems to our beaches, to uh, our cities that are very close to the water, etc. This is a bit more long term. Thank you so much, Georges. I mean, both Seville and you mentioned that uh, uh, we are already facing uh, um, uh, some dangers of uh, uh, the climate change process, and it's, it, it might just get worse if we don't do anything to stop these uh, from happening. So especially in the context of Turkey, uh, Seville talked about really serious measures, but uh, we don't really see these issues on TV every day. Uh, and uh, thanks to people like Seville, uh, who are you know organized at the civil society level, uh, and who try to constantly keep these issues uh, on the agenda of these states. So I wanted to ask Seville then, uh, how does Turkey react to such threats? Uh, what preventions are already in place and uh, are they enough? 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course, that we all know that the most important measure uh, for against the death rates is, of course, to reduce the emission rates. It's so obvious. Uh, but when we look at reality, it uh, doesn't work that way, uh, we can say. Uh, the last year, uh, Turkey just ratified the Paris Agreement. That was an important development for us uh, to expect uh, um, the real, real the climate action policy from the government. And after that, um, after Turkish ratification of the Paris Agreement, uh, we were expecting the, uh, the, the, the Turkish government announcing the, the updated NDC plan, which obviously showed the, uh, the emission, uh, re- uh, emission um, uh, reduced emission uh, rates. Uh, and, uh, and for that, we organized a like, campaign uh, and uh, prepared some uh, uh, scientific proposal that contains the most realistic approaches to combat climate change. Um, come together by come together with the civil society organization and the climate experts in Turkey uh, in the uh, beginning of the autumn. And after that, we like we launched this campaign, which will call the. 35% re- reduction by the 2030 from Turkey. Uh, however, um, uh, when Turkey de, uh, announced its uh, NDC plan at the COP27, uh, it became a, a real disappointment for us, actually. Uh, because the updated uh, Turkish uh, Turkey's national contribution uh, statement uh, say that uh, they will increase their target uh, from the 21% to 41% by 2030. Actually, that means that statement means the increase of more than the 40% by 2030 of the emissions for the Turkey. It means that it's not a reduction. Uh, it means they're increasing the emission targets by 2030. This emission reduction production identified by Turkey risks the net zero target for the 2053 and make uh, it's makes uh, make the Turkey dependent on the carbon capture technologies whose commercial and the technological capacities are questionable. Also, or uh, non-important options such as nuclear power uh, that poses serious safety, environmental, and health risk problems. However, phasing out the coal-fired power by 2030 and option for the just trans- transformation policies that actively strengthen the social resist- resistance and to the climate crisis are available and within the richest concrete solution. I can say that it's hard to speak to educate prevention or compensation strategies in Turkey uh, to make matters worse to officials of the country who have the obligation to work in benefit of the people today and uh, in the future, have been and continue missing the great opportunity and making the dire mistakes. And one of them is recent NDC announced by Turkey and the ministry during the COP20, uh, COP27. Uh, being countries' climate goals throughout the plan is considerably the most critical time period that leads to up to 2030, the content of the NDC was burning question. And it turned out to be uh, the uh, 35 increase in the emissions in comparison that was announced as the first NDC back in the 2015 and the peak emission the 2038. 
Um, and we can obviously say that this means the more cold, let alone phasing are or phasing down. And this means insist- insisting on fossil fuels, which is the economy and the technological that whole world is walking away from and outdated lifestyle. This also means that the an economical burden, including the both public spending and the household budget that we know increase. Yeah, that is the situation in Turkey right now. And as the civil society organization, we keep working on the uh, this updated NDC plan to push the government to change it. Thank you so much uh, for uh, putting emphasis on the most important issues and uh, thank you so much for reflecting on Turkey's response to it. Uh, it seems like there's still so much to do and uh, we need pressure from uh, top down and bottom up to, to make this happen. Uh, so, Georges, in your case, uh, you mentioned a new ministry and you already talked about the strategies that uh, Greece had, but can you unpack this a little bit and uh, and tell us uh, what preventions are in place at the moment and uh, do you think Greece is doing enough to mit- mitigate the climate crisis? Yes, I wish I could be as uh, systematic as several. I, uh, civil society also in Greece uh, is doing uh, its part to push the government to do more. So we have also like Greenpeace in Greece and uh, uh, WWF and other organizations who uh, are, some of them international, but have their uh, Greek branches and some are uh, homegrown in Greece. And they all in the past um, wrote letters to the government and uh, held campaigns while the uh, climate law was being prepared because there is a climate law that exists for the last few months. Uh, it was initially a draft, and we had made comments uh, in various capacities, uh, the, the NGO community, but also political parties and others. What there is a, a, an overall framework, as I said before, which is the fit for 55 um, approach of the European Union, which uh, dictates that there'll be at least a 55% reduction of emissions compared to 1990 for the union as a whole until 2030. And then by 2050, we'll have reached the zero net emissions. Uh, and the idea, the hope is that it will be achieved earlier in 45, and also that by 2030, the reduction of emissions will be higher than uh, 55%, and there are parallel targets in terms of the uh, percentage of renewables in the energy mix, uh, more than 30-something uh, percent, and also the um, increase in efficiency, in energy efficiency. So for the same um, number of um, uh, the same energy, uh, kilowatt hours, for example, to, to produce more and be more efficient. All this is the framework within which Greece operates. It has to do its part to uh, uh, make sure that the European Union delivers as a whole. And sometimes the government uh, is more even um, assertive in that sense. It says we will go beyond what is required. Uh, We will close the uh, lignite burning plants before 28, that is the date that we should close them, uh, do it earlier, a couple of years earlier. But then we have setbacks like the war in Ukraine, or we have other requirements for just transition that those people who have been working at those factories, uh, they have to uh, find jobs. Those areas 
uh, who, which will lose their main economic activity have to be compensated or somehow uh, given some other kinds of activities that will maintain the standards of living. Also, side things like uh, communal um, heating that was a byproduct of those factories has to be replaced or maintained in some way. Some of the factories can be burning gas. But then that conversion, in addition to taking time, is also controversial because now we are investing a lot in uh, gas uh, pipelines, uh, no longer from uh, Russia because of the sanctions, but certainly from the Mediterranean and uh, also LNG, liquefied natural gas, which comes uh, by boat. This uh, has to be of course, used in industry and in energy production, but the networks also for home use are being built further because now you have it in some big cities in Athens for sure, but not in the smaller cities. And that is a major investment uh, that uh, the state uh, for the broader infrastructure, but also the individuals to connect to the the central uh, network are called to make for something that cannot last for long because the gas is supposed to be a transient, a transitional uh, fuel. It is also fossil fuel, even if it's better than uh, coal for sure and liquid uh, fossil fuels. So uh, there is a problem there and there is a big disagreement uh, with the government whether uh, it should be going down that way to encourage so much the uh, use of gas even at the home level in places where there is no infrastructure to create this or not. And also there is the more controversial and politically and internationally uh, uh, thing whether the efforts to find gas reserves in our seas should be encouraged or if it is worth making such investments for a short period of time if we're going to um, stop using also gas soon, because these kinds of investments need um, a normally a 30-year period to uh, fully recover their cost and make a profit uh, as foreseen. So if in 15 years we have to finish that, if we want to reach to uh, the targets for 2030 and 2050, then um, it won't be paying back um, the, 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 such an investment. And in parallel, we have the investment in um, a big uh, renewable energy sources, like, for example, there is a lot of uh, windmills that uh, have been uh, placed on uh, the Greek mountains and some on uh, the islands, the mountains on the mainland and some on the islands. There is a lot of discussion whether there should be also more in the sea so as not to interfere with uh, the birds that fly usually in uh, land, sometimes on small islands or parts of the land, not to use uh, the Natura areas, protected areas, to open roads to access for servicing these windmills on uh, the main mountains, and not to destroy cultural and natural uh, scenery um, that is really has to be protected by putting there all these windmills and all that. There is a big discussion. A lot is happening anyway because the industry is there. They're pushing the politicians uh, and uh, the the energy is needed, but the discussion is still ongoing and there is tension. Also, the model for energy, whether it should be 
centrally produced energy with huge installations, even renewable energy, um, photovoltaics and uh, windmills, etc. Or it should be more encouraged at the local level to have energy communities and uh, a bit of energy self-reliance uh, of um, smaller places and of individuals to fight energy poverty and to fight uh, the dependence on a centrally uh, controlled um, uh, energy supply. So all this is a bit up in the air. Things are happening. Uh, Greece also uh, imports energy, uh, and that happens from the nearby, from the region and from the European Union uh, beyond also, so that uh, some of that energy is not necessarily clean, or some comes for from nuclear factories that may not be safe, and nuclear is also for some, a transitional fuel and not a long-term fuel. It doesn't produce CO2 or uh, greenhouse gases uh, as, uh, during its operation, but still it's not uh, safe for the environment and uh, for people in other ways. All this is a bit um, up in the air. W- uh, b- uh, what is clear is that uh, the central government and uh, regions and municipalities have to make their own mitigation adaptation plans. There is emphasis also on um, like uh, insulating uh, homes and public buildings and schools, etc., so as to reduce the need for energy, and that is good, um, also to improve uh, the flood-related measures, to rethink agriculture, what is cultivated in areas which are uh, particularly impacted by climate change and cannot continue to do what they were doing before, um, all these things. There is a lot of... Um, activity and that is good in terms of the economy also like in Greece we have a major uh, um, how can I say good tradition of uh, using um, um, sun solar uh, systems for hot water and that has become a major industry for Greece and new innovation is also been developed and now this has been generalized like everybody should have hot water from the sun and not using electricity uh, or burning any kind of fossil fuel for that. Uh, And that is a good precedent that can be also used to also get hot water for heating in some cases. Uh, There there is some innovation now being developed. And I think uh, these things should be shared also in our region because they are common problems and some solutions can also be uh, common. Thank you so much, Georgios, for this comprehensive account. So from what you and Seville uh, said, I see that uh, there should be short-term and long-term policies and uh, they will require significant dedication uh, to such policies because they will bring a lot of changes also in terms of business, tourism. Uh, it, it, uh, it actually penetrates into people's everyday, everyday lives. So uh, these changes uh, are really important. So uh, I was then going to ask, you know, we need uh, political parties uh, in in both states, not just the, the the current government and the state, but uh, political parties who should take up take up on this issue uh, because they need to make these issues uh, palatable to the uh, to the people to the society. Uh, so I see that, for example, uh, the changes you mentioned, 
you know, they might uh, challenge um, a couple of businesses, um, and uh, also they 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 are uh, associated to problems that the tourism sector might face. Um, also, we talked about the forest fires, and uh, especially in Turkey, sometimes these fires are used uh, for further securitization in the country because there's an ethnic conflict. So there are many many uh, dimensions to these issues. So um, in both countries, uh, which political parties are um, um, seriously interested in uh, in investing in these issues. Uh, So um, I don't know much about Greece, but in Turkey, uh, I see that political parties are uh, busier with everyday political issues and uh, these are kind of swept under the carpet. So maybe Sevil can uh, comment on this first and then uh, we can continue with Georgia's. Yeah, sure. Like just uh, uh, before answering this question, uh, I just uh, say thank to Georgias to what he said that it's very important, especially from the perspective of the energy policies. Um, it's very important to localize the energy policies and uh, to avoid the all kind of the fossil fuels also. Uh, we know that the centralized the energy policies will not helping us. Um, and the other important point that uh, uh, as the uh, like Mediterranean to Mediterranean countries, uh, Turkey and the Greece has a great advantages uh, on these topics, and it will be the good uh, to facilitate and uh, use these advantages to develop uh, uh, sustainable energy policies uh, to combat the climate crisis and when I came to the, your uh, question um, I would say that uh, during the other climate deba- debates the, this issue gets more much more visible and resonating in, in the public opinion and um, a variety of the opposition parties take interest on the issue and tend to use the discussion as a political leverage on the path of the general election and by establishing discourse or in same cases announcing the policies uh, the the last local election would be a good exba- example for that especially under the some municipalities uh, candidate uh, use the climate uh, discourses uh, that as a top political point uh, when they are running for the elections. That was the important for that. And having say, said that, uh, it's also observ- observable that these parties do not have a solid clear climate goals or uh, and a roadmaps that address the urgent needs in terms of the direct emission reduction. In order to eliminate the, this obstacle, uh, the climate actions plans should be cleansed from the wage wall goals and the midway solution and more leaning on structure that promise a climate-friendly economical and social trans- transformation. And in you know, also, you know, according to your question, Bahar, um, we, the, the last uh, opinion survey shows the very significant significant results. Uh, the, uh, for example, the um, the international public public opinion survey on climate change, uh, the conducted by Yale University in University in 2022. Uh, the percentage of the those who think the climate change is already happening in Turkey is around 87%. It's really huge. The numbers uh, about 10 years ago or five years ago was not like that. Also, uh, uh, the, uh, the people who believe that the tackling climate change in Turkey will have a negative impact on economy is 
uh, around the 39%, and this is uh, the below of the 50% also, uh, it's important to have a kind of a significant results to uh, develop, establish a climate, efficient climate policies for the uh, the, the parties uh, who are responsible uh, to to do it. Uh, but like, however, when we look at the, the situation, uh, the, a comparative climate policy that could address uh, these concerns of the people in Turkey is not included in the programs or uh, either the ruling parties or opposition parties right now. Uh, we will have an election very soon next year, uh, and we will see the results, how we'll, how the, the political parties prefer uh, to build their election strategy. Uh, but we can say that right now that the, the national contribution statement, as just announced by the ruling party, uh, is extremely weak and uh, to uh, fight against the climate change. Uh, also, the fact that the opposition parties, which criticize every step of the government, uh, do, has not uh, the criticized and remained silent in the face of the, such as important development is extremely uh, talk providing. Um, these are the realities that like we are facing right now. Uh, the the large segments of the population overwhelmed by economic problems and unemployment, also environmental problems and the climate crisis uh, uh, may not seen as the main issues right now. Uh, and in the, this time of the economic downturn and political turmoil, unfortunately, the fight against the climate change is not a priority uh, of the political part uh, in Turkey, but the public opinion shows the uh, different ways. So it uh, give a, a space uh, for the civil society organization who are trying to, to push the governments and other partners to make a step on that. Thank you so much, Seville. What about Greece, uh, Georgios? In Greece, maybe it's a bit different because also of the European Union influence and uh, the framework which binds all governments of Greece, no matter what uh, political color they may be, they may have. So um, it is a positive surprise for me that uh, even a conservative government that we have now uh, is, again, pro-climate action, and uh, the prime minister had proposed uh, early in his uh, tenure to do uh, even things, uh, as I said earlier, beyond what the European Union uh, rules um, and agreements require. Also, some initiatives like uh, to protect um, uh, cultural treasures from the impacts of climate change was an, an initiative launched uh, by the prime minister um, at uh, an event of the UN, I believe. But anyway, there it's ongoing. So there, there is um, a, a shared, I think, uh, minimum of acceptance that the climate is there, climate is impacting us negatively. We can do something about it, and we have to do something about it, and we're doing. So uh, it is a matter then of degree and of honesty, political honesty, irrespective of parties and also party preferences. Again, in the European Union, it's positive that uh, this uh, European Green Deal that uh, the president of the Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, has introduced from the beginning of her tenure uh, has been accepted broadly by all parties in the European Parliament, all mainstream parties. So it is, uh, again, not uh, doubted by anybody. 
I think that the percentages would be similar if I knew them of how many people agree that climate is uh, happening, is affecting them uh, from what um, um, what Seville said. Uh, for Turkey, because initially people were in disbelief. They were not uh, believing a large percentage that it is caused by human activity. Everybody can see that there is something happening with the climate, but the thing, uh, the crucial thing is that it is caused by human activity, our industrialization, the way we also cultivate the land that also contributes. We burn forests and other things. Uh, and uh, that has affected the planet because otherwise there are cycles in the climate of the earth, but they take thousands or millions of years to turn around those cycles. Now we're talking in a few decades, huge changes which are anthropogenic caused by human activity. That was a difficult thing for people to uh, believe in. And I think there is some resistance to that because if you accept that, it goes that you have to do something about it. And that requires action at all levels from the government to uh, the uh, regions and uh, municipalities and the individuals. There is some resistance perhaps still to that, or there is the approach, or we cannot do anything so big now, it's beyond us. So, so public information campaigns continue to have their importance. Uh, we have also civil society, a lot of this happening. With COVID, it became easier to organize events online, webinars, and, and uh, um, uh, discussions like this to be able to explain and answer to questions. So I think we're much better than we were before. So there is support for all political leaders to, to say something positive and to be proactive in terms of, of climate. All the mainstream uh, parties, I think, accept that. And I sometimes, uh, being more green myself, I feel like, oh, have we lost the, the main raison d'etre of a green movement? But it is not lost because there is always, again, a devil in the details, whether you go for... Um, big industry support through this, whether you end the subsidies to fossil fuels or not, whether you go to uh, drill for more uh, gas or not, there are differentiations in the approach and there are more greener and less uh, green policies. But overall, a minimum of acceptance uh, is there. And that is, um, that is hopeful, I would say. Thank you so much, Ojo. So my final question then, very shortly, um, is there any uh, opportunity for collaboration between the two countries, Greece and Turkey, uh, to, to mitigate these challenges? Uh, are there initiatives already and uh, are there any possibilities? Thank you. I have enjoyed the discussion and I think it is indeed an opportunity if we see it as such, if we want to see it and seize it, to uh, have this as an area of uh, joint activity and joint uh, research exchange of good practices. We have the same problems when it comes to climate change, climate impacts, and also uh, renewable energy sources. We share the same geography, and we have, uh, I think, a lot of opportunities to, to do things uh, together and take away the mind from uh, more uh, controversial geopolitical considerations that are dividing us. So I think... Uh, it would be good for nature protection, for climate action to do more, and also for um, justice for our people. Something I wanted to say earlier also, that is also a matter of 
governments and uh, political uh, uh, figures, but also of civil society to make sure that in both our countries there is a, a smooth and a just transition to the new state of affairs. Because if we don't do that, there'll be losers again in the process and those who will not be able to buy insurance, those who will not be able to convert their businesses or their uh, agricultural uh, activities to what is needed with climate, they will be um, uh, losing really a lot and becoming more um, marginalized. So we want in both countries the people to be happy and, and prosperous and uh, a big um, middle class that I think uh, that uh, is a matter of stability and democratic institutions. And we, we want to encourage that. And uh, we can uh, learn a lot uh, from good practices that I'm sure both have developed from the, the farmers with the farmers, the industrialists with the industrialists, uh, and uh, also even the public administrations, how to, to manage this uh, transition. Uh, I hope uh, we go in that direction and not in different ones, uh, fighting for resources that are fossil fuels and will not help in the long term nobody, and certainly the planet, they won't help and, and our uh, citizens. Thank you, Giorgio Sevin. Yeah, um, uh, that uh, I can say that the, the, uh, the a few months before the Turkey 2023 uh, elections, uh, it's so clear that, that the tension between the Turkey and the Greece are escalating. It, of course, it's not a choose of the civil society or the citizens, but it's a Uh, the international policies. Maybe I would say that it would be a very weak option to reduce this tension until the election uh, and establish a basis for a cooperation between the two states on actual state level to fight the climate change uh, together uh, since the, the two... Uh, to state the sharing uh, the same uh, geography uh, uh, places. Uh, but apart from this, um, uh, that um, uh, the finding common solution uh, in the face of the difficulties brought by the geographical similarities between two countries and civil society organizations, also citizens, it's always possible. And uh, as I know, the many partnerships have been uh, established between the two country organizations Are, are the basis on the campaigns or the projects on the different topics, the, including the energy policies, the renewable energy options, um, the nuclear um, energy issues, and the other uh, the democracy and the, the cultural and uh, issues. And I hope that this will became the stronger as the civil society movement uh, to strengthen this relation between the two countries, despite the, the tension uh, held by the governments. We fully agree, inshallah. I don't know what you say. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, thank you so much, uh, Sevil and Georges. Do you have any final comments uh, or are we ready to... Um... Uh, close the podcast now. I think uh, you have raised uh, wonderful issues and uh, you have shown us how important this issue is in both countries, but at the same time at the global level. Um, any final comments from either of you? Thank you very much for giving this time and the meeting, the Georgias, uh, in this meeting. Yeah, it was very great meeting for me. Thank you. For me too. And I hope we continue the cooperation. We keep talking and pushing in, in a good direction. Thank you so much. Thank I you both so. uh, for this opportunity. It was a great uh, pleasure to listen to you both. Thank you.